Good to see everybody today. We are glad that you're here. Have a seat. Here at Bethel, we have a great time. It's great to be in the house of the Lord. There's something to be thankful for. And uh, we have a, a little theme or a little saying that we say for our, our children's ministry, Bethel Kids. Then uh, we want you to be safe. We want you to have fun. And we want you to know about Jesus. And that's exactly what we want everyone. We want you to be safe. We want you to feel like this is a place where you can come. Just get away from the routine. And if you've been out on the freeway this, year, this week, man, and uh, there's a bunch of crazy people out there. And, uh, and uh, maybe some of them found their way in here this morning too. But, uh, but we still can be safe. And we can have fun together. But we want to make sure that you know about Jesus. If you're here for the very first time, first time guest, we'd love to get connected with you. Uh, you can go on uh, this QR code and uh, get your smartphone. And, uh, and because we want you to feel like you also belong here. And we want to make sure that we get connected with you. And if you're watching online, you can do the same thing. Go to mybethel.cc and just uh, look for the Connect card and get engaged. This week, we're in week five of Wage War. And uh, we've got a war that we're involved in, and, uh, but we're on the winning side. And uh, we're going to learn more about that. So you can get plugged into 1 Peter chapter 4 and get ready. Uh, we've had uh, we're a safe place. We've had fun but we're also going to learn about Jesus. So let's get our hearts ready and uh, because we belong here. It's great to see you, and, uh, and I know God's got something special for us. God bless you, and let's get ready. Good morning, everyone. It's great to see you here for the 930 service. Thanks for, uh, thanks for being with us. This, uh, this series has been uh, quite a doozy, walking through uh, the book of First Peter. There's a lot of stuff that is uh, <clears throat> maybe, I, I don't know, for lack of a better term, maybe a little bit uncomfortable, uh, and you kind of feel like you got to um, walk through it carefully. And over the last several weeks, as I've, I knew that I was speaking this morning, and I knew the passages we're walking through, um, and it's raised quite a few um, just uh, maybe some unsettling in my, in my spirit and in my heart uh, because there's some things that I think God is maybe uprooting or uh, just tapping on a little bit. And I'm like, mm, that's a little, uh, little uncomfortable. And so um, I, I would like to start this morning by asking for, um, for us to approach this morning with humility, um, understanding and knowing that I am still in the process of working through what First Peter's talking about. I'm in the process of applying some of these things to my life. And so in no way as I present God's word this morning, uh, am I saying that I have everything figured out and I have all the answers and there's a hard line and I'm on this side of it or that side of it. I'm just going to simply walk through the scripture this morning and, and do my best 
to help us uh, uh, understand maybe what, uh, what Peter is talking about in 1 Peter. And you've got to remember there's a context here. There, he's talking to a church who's been scattered uh, throughout. They've been scattered from their home, and they're in, they find themselves in a foreign place where the, uh, government rule, and, and they were ruled by the Roman world. And so there were some things that they bumped up against that were very challenging. And so Peter's writing them and addressing some of these challenges that they're facing. And I think uh, a lot of them have been very prevalent to what we're experiencing today um, uh, in, in the world that we live in. And so I want to start this morning. I just want to pray and I want to ask you for uh, patience and humility as we, as we walk through this passage uh, this morning. So let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, God, Lord, we love you. Uh, we thank you for who you are. God, I thank you for your word. Um, as challenging as it may be sometimes to uh, to bump into things that are maybe uncomfortable or uh, maybe are challenging for us to think through. God, and I pray that uh, we would do so this morning and that we would be diligent to look into your word and to see what it has to say and that you would teach us what we need to, uh, what we need to learn. Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes to see the things that you want us to see, uh, that you would open our minds to understand the things that we want to understand and to uh, open our ears to hear the things that you would have us to hear this morning. And I pray um, this in your name, uh, Jesus, and we pray these things in, in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Lord, we, uh, and so Pastor Ray has um, said this several times throughout this series. He said that the book of First Peter is a book of hope, okay? And I think, I believe that that statement is true, and it will ring true for you only if you have placed your hope in Jesus and in Jesus alone. There's a lot of things that First Peter talks about that if your hope is in anything else outside of Jesus, maybe you're, uh, if your hope is in your health and well-being or in the government or people or even physical freedom in this life, we're actually going to bump into some things that are like, oh man, like that, that's frustrating. And that actually, there, there may be some people as we walk through the book of First Peter that uh, it's maybe made you outright mad. Maybe it's frustrated you and maybe you said like, maybe you said or thought to yourself, mm, I don't like that. Um, and that's uncomfortable for me to actually think through and process through. So, uh, but as Pastor Ray said last week, maybe those are some of the areas that we need personal work because we've talked about through this whole series that waging war is not waging war against your neighbor or your fellow believer. It's not waging war against even the government. It's not waging war against any other thing, but we're talking about this internal battle that we face. And there's a work that I think needs to be done on the inside that if we are diligent, to press into the work that God's trying to do in each of us, that we would be a, a, a family, a, a body of believers that come together and that do really, God can accomplish something incredible for his glory. And so I really want us to take a personal look this morning as we walk through uh, this passage. And I want to make sure that our hope is in Jesus and not misplaced in some of these other areas that maybe we've been afforded throughout our lifetime. And uh, so uh, this week I was faced with this question, if I didn't live in a place where I am free to follow Jesus, would I still follow him even if it brought about suffering and pain? And I would like to tell you, and I say with maybe some confidence that the answer to that question would be yes. But as I walk through First uh, Peter and some of the things that he's talking about in this chapter— I'm like, wow, like there's, he's saying some stuff that that would be difficult to walk through, difficult to go through. 
And so we're going to jump into 1 Peter chapter 4. If you have uh, your Bibles, go ahead and turn to 1 Peter chapter 4. If you don't have your Bibles, if you have a device or a, a phone or a tablet or something, uh, we do have the live event. Uh, so if you go to the three bars down at the bottom right, go to that, and then go to events, you'll see our church pop up there. You can follow along. There's some notes. Uh, and then if you don't have that, uh, there, the, the scripture will be up on the screen. I'm going to read a lot of, of scripture uh, this morning. Because I think it's important for us to see all of this. But starting in verse 1 of 1 Peter chapter 4, he says, So then, since Christ suffered physical pain, you must arm yourselves with the same attitude he had and be ready to suffer too. So if you look at the end of uh, chapter 3, he walks through some of the, the pain, the physical pain that Jesus went through on our behalf, even without being a sinner. So uh, Jesus encountered and endured some things undeservingly, okay? And so then he says, so then since Jesus suffered those things, physical pain on our behalf, he says, you must arm yourselves with the same attitude that he had and be ready to suffer too. That's a hard message to swallow, but we'll, we'll, talk, we'll walk through that a little bit later. I want to uh, uh, dive into more of verse number two for right now for the moment. He says, for if you have suffered physically, for Christ, you have finished with sin. And I'm going to break that down a little bit. I ran into that this week, and I was like, what, is that? what does that even mean? Uh, but let's keep reading for now. I said, you won't spend the rest of your lives chasing your own desires, but you will be anxious to do the will of God. You have had enough of the past of the evil things that, that godless, uh, the things that godless people enjoy, their immorality and lust, their fasting and, or their feasting and drunkenness and wild parties and their terrible worship of idols. So he said, you've had enough of that. And then he says, of course, your former friends are surprised when you no longer plunge into the flood of wild and destructive things they do. So they slander you. It says, but remember that you will have to face God, or they will have to face God, who stands ready to judge everyone, both the living and the dead. That is why the good news was preached to those who are now dead. So although they were uh, destined to die like all people, they now live forever with God in the Spirit. It said, the end of the world is coming soon. Therefore, be earnest and disciplined in your prayers. Most important of all, continue to show deep love for each other, for love covers a multitude of sins. He says, cheerfully share your home with those who need a meal or a place to stay. He says, God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. He says, do you have the gift of speaking? Then speak as though God himself were speaking through you. Do you have the gift of helping others? Do it with all the strength and energy that God supplies, that everything you do will bring glory to God through Jesus Christ all glory and power to him forever and ever. Amen. So I'm going to attempt to do a couple things this morning, and I'll just be straight up, uh, up front with you, is I'm going to, as we look through this, Peter talks about an idea of freedom that I think is a little bit foreign to uh, maybe the world that we live in and experience here, uh, specifically in America. And so I want to I work towards reshaping our idea of freedom to align with Scripture and what, uh, what Peter is trying to say and maybe provoke some thoughts that you're like, hmm, yeah, I guess that, that kind of makes sense. And that's, that's the goal when it comes to freedom. And then I want to give us a context for suffering, okay? And so first, or he walks through suffering toward the end of the chapter. We'll get to that here in a second. But 
the freedom that Peter was talking about was freedom from the tyranny of sin and spiritual death. He was not talking about freedom to do whatever we want to do. And I think here, uh, specifically uh, in the context in which we live, sometimes the temptation is to think of freedom as, oh, sweet, hands off the wheel. I'm free to do whatever I want, say whatever I want, live however I want, do these things. And then we approach freedom in that way. So Peter is specifically talking about saying the freedom that you've been granted is a freedom from sin and the tyranny and the wreckage that it left in your life, and now you are free to obey Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay, and so he says that there, it, it was not freedom to do whatever we want, but, and it was not freedom from even systemic oppression or slavery or pain or any discomfort that we bump up against in this life. Now, are those things that are desired? Yes. I, none of us want to be put in bondage. None of us want to be put into slavery. None of us want to be oppressed through a sy- system of organization or even the government. I mean, we look at what's going on in our world today, and none of us are like want to be uh, oppressed or told what to do. And I don't think that those are wrong to pursue or even have a desire or a longing for, yet... This is not what Peter was talking about. Peter specifically says in verses 1 and 2, he says, So then, since Christ suffered physical pain, you must arm yourselves with the same attitude that he had. Jesus was all about the Father, doing the will of the Father. He says many times throughout Scripture, he says, I am here to accomplish the mission of my Father who has sent me. Okay, and so Jesus was on this path, this uh, this trajectory to obey the will of the Father. Now, Jesus encountered some incredible resistance. Jesus had people who hated him. Jesus had people who pulled on his beard and they spit in his face and shoved a crown of, horn, or a crown of thorns on his head in punishment for doing nothing wrong because he knew that he was going to take your place. And so Jesus is taking on this uh, oppression or he's taking on this physical pain knowing that it's accomplishing the will of the Father. And he says, Peter says, you must take up the same attitude that Jesus had, being willing to suffer and do the will of the Father. He says, and then you must be ready to suffer too, for you have suffered physically, for if you have suffered physically for Christ, you have finished with sin. So let's dive into this for a second. He says, you are no longer, this word to be finished with sin doesn't mean that you will never struggle with sin. It doesn't mean that your desire for sin has been taken away and all of a sudden removed and you live this perfect robotic life. No, it means that you have been freed from the tyranny of sin because before Christ, you didn't have a choice. Before Christ, you were drawn to sin, that you were by nature were bent toward doing what is against God. And because God came and he rescued you by his grace, you now have the ability to follow Follow the will of the Father and do the will of the Father because of what Jesus has done in your place. So he said, if you've suffered physically, if you have joined Jesus in his death, burial, and resurrection, you now have the ability to say yes to God and to obey and to do the will of the Father through the power of Jesus and the Holy Spirit that is active in your life. And so then he says, because you've been set free, look at what verse two, he says, you won't spend the rest of your life chasing your own desires, which is how we often define freedom, the ability to do whatever we want. But then he says, but you will be anxious to do the will of God, which is the freedom to obey God, which I now have through the power of the Holy Spirit. 
So for some reason, we're tempted to think of freedom as not having to do what someone else says or to submit to the authority of another. Yet this is why we have such a problem with what we talked about last week and we entitled the message submission, submission and other cuss words because when we hear submission, we're like, we buck up and we're like, oh man, I, I ain't submitting to that. And, and I, you ain't gonna tell me what to do. But yet, even in the middle of the challenges that these believers were facing underneath Roman rule, Peter says, do the will of the Father. Be anxious to do the will of the Father. Don't lead into your own desires. Because the challenge was they were probably, there was probably an internal desire to say, man, we're going to buck up and we're going to overthrow the Roman government. And that's why Jesus' own people rejected him because they thought that he was going to come and just overthrow the government and change, flip the world upside down and be this warrior for them. And when he came as a peacemaker, when he came as a baby, when he came as someone that, that submitted to the will of the Father, they're like, wait, what, what in the world's going on here? Like, this is not the Jesus that we painted in our mind. And so they rejected him. And so I believe what Peter's trying to teach here is that we have been freed from sin and free to submit to the authority of the good shepherd. Okay, so in essence, he's saying you trade in your authority and your autonomy for God's authority and wise rule, not necessarily for the government, not necessarily for any other systemic uh, problem or, or way of living, but that we would say over and over again in our lives, my goal, my, uh, my plan, my pursuit is to do the will of the Father, and I have placed my life in his hands, and I have given control of my life to him. And so that's the freedom that Peter's talking about, that we've been freed from sin and freedom to submit and obey Jesus. So this is how Paul describes it in Romans 6, verses 5 through 18. He says, uh, and you can see, see it on the screen. I know I, I'm jumping out of First Peter, but I think it's important for us to see this. It says, since we have been united with him in his death, we will also be raised to life as he was. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ, that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. For we, for when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. And since we died with Christ, we know we will also live with him. We are sure of this because Jesus, or because Christ was raised from the dead and he will never die again. Death no longer has any power over him. When he died, he died once to break the power of sin. But now that he lives, he lives for the glory of God. So if we take on this mindset, this attitude of having the attitude of, of G, that Jesus had, he came to break the power of sin and death in our lives not to overthrow anything or to, to make our lives uh, better as we would define better, right? He died to break the power of sin, and he says, but now that he lives, he lives where? To the glory of God, not to the glory uh, uh, of us and what we want, but to the glory of the Father. Again, having this mindset of doing the will of the Father, so you, are, you also should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. It says, do not let sin control you or control the way you live. Do not give in to sinful desires. Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. 
Instead, give yourselves completely to God, for you were dead, but now you have new life. So, you are, so use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. Sin no longer is your master, for you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. He said, well then, since God's grace has set us free from the law, does that mean that we can go on sinning? And then he says, of course not. Don't you realize that you become the slaves of whatever you choose to obey? You can be a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living. He says, thank God. Once you were slaves to sin, but now you are whole, you wholeheartedly obey this teaching we have given you. Now you are free from your slavery to sin and you have become slaves to righteous living. So it's not this idea that hands off the wheel, I can do whatever I want. It's the idea of I've actually been freed from the tyranny of sin and destruction in my life. And now I have the opportunity to walk in the freedom that Jesus offers and obey the will of the Father. Even the gifts that God gives you are under his authority and the power of his, or, and his power for his glory, not for your own. If you look at verse 10 and 11, he mentions several gifts there. And what does he say? He says, use these for the glory of God, not for the glory of yourself. And he says, do them under his authority and power. So not only is it God who's given you the gift, but it's God who empowers the gift. And through him, we can use that to bless others and to point others to him. So, lest we think that the goal of waging war within is to free us from our need from God to continually transform us because we don't want to be under an authority, it's actually to grow in our awareness and our need for him to work in our lives at every turn and in every circumstance so that we will desire to do his will rather than our own. So the aim of waging war within is not independence from God, but it's total dependence on God. I'll say that one more time. The aim of waging war within is not independence from God and his reign and rule in our lives. It's learning to live with total dependence on God in every circumstance and in every way. So developing a context for suffering. Okay, let's take a deep breath. Okay. Now moving on uh, to verse 12, he says this. He says, dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you're going through as if something strange were happening to you. Instead, be very glad for these trials make you partners with Christ in his suffering. So if you look again back at the end, tail end of uh, chapter 3, you'll see that Jesus suffered for doing nothing wrong. It said he never sinned yet was punished. And so he says, you become partners with Christ in your suffering for doing nothing wrong, but for following Jesus. He says, so that you will have the wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it is revealed to all the world. If you are insulted because you're, you bear the name of Jesus Christ, you will be blessed for the glorious spirit of God rests upon you. Then he says this, if you suffer, however, it must not be for murder, stealing, making trouble, or prying into other people's affairs, gossip, or slandering others, or, you know, uh, doing something on your own accord that is outside the bounds of what God desires for you. He says, but it is no shame to suffer for being a Christian. 
Praise God for the privilege of being called by his name, which he's given us a new identity. And so we think that um, sometimes our, our temptation is to put ourselves in the category of suffering, sometimes from the poor choices that we make in this life. So, so Peter says, don't let that be the case. He goes, don't, don't put yourself in the category of suffering for Jesus because you made a poor choice along the way. Own those mistakes and don't let it be for these things. But he says, for suffering for being a Christian, he goes, that's something to be admired. That's something to aim for. That's something to shoot for and a goal to set in your life to say, man, no matter what the cost, no matter what comes my way, no matter who or what comes against me, I'm going to choose to follow Jesus. And so we answer that question that I asked and I wrestled with this week and I'm still wrestling with is if I wasn't free to follow Jesus in this life, would I still do it even if it meant bringing about suffering into my life? That I bumped up against things that were uncomfortable and hard. Would I continue to say Jesus is King, Jesus is Lord, and it doesn't matter what I face in this life? He said, for the time has come for judgment, and it, is, and it must begin with God's household. And if judgment begins with us, what terrible fate awaits those who have never obeyed God's good, uh, good news? And also, if the righteous are barely saved, then what will happen to godless sinners? So often we define suffering within the context of where we live, the things that uh, we had that we no longer have, or maybe experiencing life in a certain way that we no longer experience, or being stripped from some comforts that we previously have been afforded. And we put ourselves in this category of suffering because we have a context in which we live, and then when that's taken away or stripped, all of a sudden, sometimes the temptation is to say, oh God, what are you doing? Are you no longer blessing us? Are you no longer in, involved in the process of our everyday life? When God has not taken his hands off the wheel, God is still in control. It's yet that we have maybe hitched our faith or we've hitched following Jesus to some of the modern comforts that we experience. So let's take just a simple example of air conditioning, right? Sometimes we bring on our own suffering, like I talked about, and we are guilty of suffering because some poor choices that we made, but sometimes some things happen that are out of our control. And it's not untruthful to say that we face challenges in this life. I just think that we have to be very careful to define what we mean by suffering because Peter's teaching specifically about talking, he's talking specifically about suffering for following Jesus, Okay, some of these ideas of suffering are, are, are prevalent, especially here in America, when things that we have become accustomed to are no longer available or are being threatened. And we take a step back and we're like, whoa, 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 time out, time out, time out. Like, why is that being taken away? Or why are we no longer able to do that? Or why do we no longer have this? And we start to have to face some of the things that First Peter says and let me say this, I say this with a ton of humility because it's something that I'm having to work through in my own life because I only know living in America. I only know that. I, I've been to mission trips across the country. I've seen some really just disgusting places and I've seen joy on people's faces in the midst of just utter chaos and what we would define as just unbelievable poverty. 
And I've seen that maybe dropped in for a week or two, but then I come back and I experience the modern comforts that, I, that I've been afforded. And I didn't do anything. I, it wasn't like I was in my mom's womb saying, hey, God, you think I could be, you think I could be dropped in America? Like, I, I never asked for that. I didn't do anything to deserve or earn that. Yet I find myself living in this context. So it's, um, it's challenging. And, I, and, and so again, I, I talk through this with a lot of humility but we have to define in our minds, like, and we have to unhitch God's blessing from the modern comforts and some of the things that we experience in our free society. And I, and I say that because it's, it, you bump up against some, uh, some confrontation and some frustration when you think about people in the context that they live in other parts of the world. So if we take something very simple as air conditioning, right? Do I want to go without air conditioning? No. Absolutely not. I hate being hot. I could look at a flight of stairs and I could start sweating because I just, I'm hot by nature. Jordan's always like, I'm freezing. She, she calls me her little furnace, you know? And she's like, you know, she'll sum up. She's like, you're so warm. And I'm like, yeah. And thank God that you're cool because you're cooling me down. You're my air conditioner. So it's like, I, I enjoy having air conditioning. But if I hitch air conditioning to God's blessing and God loving me, what happens when I don't have air conditioning? Does God all of a sudden not love me? Does God all of a sudden not bless me in my life? If I take that a step further and I go into a third world country where air conditioning, they're like, air conditioning, what? Like, we don't even have electricity. And I'm like, and then if we take that one step farther and say, okay, so if God's blessing us is tied to us having modern comforts, then I'm forced to look at a, at a third world country who has not afforded those modern comforts and say, oh, God must not bless them. And that's unfair. That's uncharacteristic of who God is. That's, un, that's ungodlike. And so I think there's some things that we really got to wrestle with, some, some things that we've been afforded, specifically here in our country, that say, okay, even if these things go away, Peter's saying it's possible to live under a flawed system. It's possible to follow Jesus even when you find yourself in oppressive situations. It's possible to follow Jesus even when things get stripped from you. Because following Jesus doesn't have anything to do with the modern comforts that we experience in our lives. Jesus actually never promised those things. Sometimes we think that when those things get away, we think, we look at God and say he's unfaithful because he allowed that to be taken away from us. And that's just not true. God's faithful because of what he did for us on the cross at Calvary. And he paid the price that you and I could not pay. And that's the bottom line. He was faithful to rescue us. And even if Jesus did nothing else for you for the rest of your life, he did enough on the cross so that you could have eternal life. And in that, he's faithful. That's it. And so, again, I, I know I'm, I'm getting fired up because I, I, I've had to process and wrestle with this all week. And it's like, geez, like that is, that's hard. And then, so what do we, like, what do we do about all this? And Peter, Peter tells us in verse 19, he, he gives us some very clear instructions. He says, so if you are suffering in a manner that pleases God, okay? He's not talking about poor choices that you made that brought about pain in your life. 
He's not talking about, um, you know, maybe some things that we experience just as a result of people being people. But he's saying, like, if you follow me and people and systems and rule or authority or whatever come against you for following me, talking about Jesus, he says, that pleases God. And then he says this, keep on doing what is right. And then he says, and trust your lives to the God who created you. Why? For he will never fail you. There's a difference between trust and entrust. So the word that, you use, that Peter uses here, depending on which version you read, it will say entrust. So I can say, somebody can tell me something, and I'll say, yeah, I believe that that's true. And I could trust them with what they're saying. But to entrust them with something is totally different. It's you taking your life and you saying, God, I completely give all that I am and I entrust it to your care because I know that you are a good shepherd. I know that you are a good God who can be nothing else. You are faithful and you will never be unfaithful. You will never fail me. And so I'm going to entrust my entire life, all that I am to you and trust that you know what is best even if I face systemic problems and we face flawed systems, we face unruly and evil people that maybe come against us, I'm going to continue to say yes to God because that, because I know that my life can be trusted under your care and in, under your authority. And so to entrust something means to leave it in one's care, trusting that they will do what is best at all times. And Jesus has proven throughout history, and God has been a God who's been faithful throughout the ages, in every circumstance and in every way, and he can be trusted. Systems will fail, people will fail, leaders will fail, jobs will fail, stuff will fail and break but God will never fail. The challenge Peter gives us is to entrust our lives, the beginning, the end, and all the outcomes in between to, to God because he will never fail. So will you trust him in all things and let your full dependence be on him? Let's pray. Dear God, uh, as we enter into worship this morning, Lord, I pray that our hearts would be primed and ready to worship you, not for who we think you are, but who you really are, as a faithful, loving, good God who will never fail. No matter what we face in this life, no matter what suffering comes our way, Lord, if we suffer in a way that pleases you, as Peter talks about, I pray that we would find it a joy and a blessing to join you in your suffering and to do the will of the Father no matter what our circumstance looks like in this life. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
Oh man. Everybody just take a deep breath. Oh, the doozy. Yeah. Oh, that's heavy because we don't like to suffer. No. I don't like to suffer. No one likes to suffer, and it's hard when we are used to our America where we have a lot of modern comforts and luxuries here. And things a lot of times go our way, mm-hmm. you know, as a whole. You know, we get what we want and, and all of those things. And so I think that all, although I'm so thankful for the comforts that I have, it's something to always reflect on and think, okay, we're not promised it to always be right. so easy and comfortable to live in the freedom of Christ here. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of people that we can look to and see their example that maybe do suffer for the cause of Christ. Mm-hmm. And, and I can't help but think about when you mentioned Guatemala going there. And there was this little little sweet woman we saw. We saw went to a lot of these different homes, which were mud huts, essentially. And mm-hmm. there was a missionary working there with them. And he actually lives in the States, and he's just there for long periods of time. Goes back, he goes back and forth. And so he's super used to these people. They know him. They love him. And he loves them. And he's taking us into their homes, into their homes. And, and I remember standing out there and just like being almost confused because they have like like I said a mud hut and we're bringing them a basket of rice and and eggs and some other random food and she's just standing there this woman she's just smiling and she knows Jesus and she's just like happy we're there she wasn't like oh my goodness thank you for the food she was thankful for the food but she was just happy to be amongst believers and she just has the joy of the Lord and later I remember that missionary we'll call him talking about it and saying, and I'll never forget when he said, mm-hmm. people have a hard time because they look at these people and they see that they have nothing. And he put his fingers up like this. And I thought, I know why he's doing that. Like I, That just like stuck with me and I sat on that now for years. Because how true is it that we look at her and we think, oh, this is so sad. Which, suffering is sad. Hungry kids is sad. Yeah, Don't. Sure. I'm not belittling that. It's awful. But it's almost like she's standing there and she would have handed me that basket of food because it's like she knows something I don't. Hmm. It's like she's experienced something, a, a deeper level of just being with Jesus and just being happy to know him than my American comfort has let me go. Hmm. It's almost like you can have this rice because I know Jesus and I'm here smiling not because you brought me rice. I can be hungry, yeah. but I have Jesus. My hope's in him. Yeah. And, and I really, I truly believe that's why he said, have nothing. Because yeah. it's, it's common for us to go on mission trips and say they have nothing. And yeah, physically they have very little. And it's tragic. But what am I being duped about? You know, what in America that's, she's like almost probably is like pities me. Like, oh, well, <laughs> yeah. I know, yeah, I, know I need food shocking. and I need good health care, but... I have Jesus. Mm-hmm. And you think that's the most, like, you think that stuff's the most important thing, but it's Jesus. You mm. know, I don't know, just yeah. this concept of, wow, like, let's take a step back and remember, like, that we are, we have our hope in him. Yeah. And that we're yeah. free. Yeah, to and to be clear, I, I mean, it's not, I, I don't think the comforts that we experience are, are wrong. I think we should, you know, uh, Ecclesiastes, I think, uh, talks about, you know, subdue the land and, you know, you know, uh, till the ground and do all these things and, and own it, you know, and, and, and live where you live. Like, let's live in our communities and let's live um, the lives that God has 
you know, allowed us to, to live where we are. Um, but let's just not forget in that process that that's not the best. Like he's the best. And, and there's something and someone, someone that's greater than anything. This, this life will ever offer us. And so let's take advantage of the, the, what we've been afforded, um, but let's just not forget that those things are not hitched to what Jesus promised um, and, and keep our eyes fixed on we him. We do tie, or I do, sometimes it's easy to think that we tie stuff to love. If yeah, our house mm-hmm, burned down today, sure. I'd be like, God, why don't you love me? You yeah. know, I mean, it's, it's something we equate it to. It's like if we mm-hmm. have stuff and we have good health, then Jesus loves us. And he's yeah. happy with us, and everything's good. Mm-hmm. And if we don't, he must be mad, and he's left us. And yeah. it's just an easy way to live in our flesh in that way and not remember, like, I, I'm, I'm meeting you where you are, and I do care about those details, mm-hmm. but I'm the prize. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so. more than anything, I care about your soul, for sure. Yeah. Okay. Well, good. Well, thank you guys so much um, uh, for being here, and uh, we, we love uh, the opportunity that we have to, to serve you week in and week out, and uh, we, love, uh, we love this community. We love you guys, and we're for you, um, and we want to walk through life with you, so um, let us know how we can do that this week. Yep. Have a great week. We remember here about the we exist to love and leave one another to find and follow Jesus. Have a have great, great week, week, guys.